Hi, I'm Jacob Rubenstein. For those of you that don't know, I'm a family attorney. I am the founder and managing partner over at the Rubenstein Law Firm, PLLC. Um, when I started the family law process, one of the things that really surprised me was the extent to which individuals rely on their divorce lawyer. When I say that, I don't mean in terms of the case itself. People come to me, they ask me questions that are really better directed for a therapist. I've had clients come to me afterwards with questions that are better directed at a dating coach. People come to me with real estate questions, accounting questions. And I really try to veer away from you know, answering those kinds of questions as my feel, I feel my focus is really just the family law related questions in whatever venue it is that we're talking about. So I started this series and the series can be named Everything Your Divorce Lawyer Cannot Tell You. Now, one of the reasons that I was in, when I was in law school, I said to myself, I will never be a divorce lawyer is because I always felt like divorce lawyers were like the root of all evil. I felt like they were just trying to suck people clean um, in any way that they could. They didn't really care so much about the clients. And ironically, that was probably the main reason that I got into family law was because I saw how, you know, how blatant that was and how incessant it was. It, it happens almost every day. Every now and then I'll meet an attorney who's truly a bright spot. I mean, I would even say that um, the vast majority of the attorneys that I dealt with in the family law space, I found to be decent human beings trying to play by the book. When I, coincidentally, when I got my first office to practice family law, I ended up being in the same building as another family attorney. Um, her name is Ayala Jesselson. She's our first guest today. Um, besides being a family law litigator par excellence, talk about someone who really knows the rules inside out, but thinks creatively for their client, but never ever shakes their integrity. She also happens to be like, hands down the best mediator that I know. And I asked her to join the call, even though at the moment, I'm not a mediator. It's a goal that I have for later on. I do believe that if clients can handle things in a way that's not litigious, it's the best for them. One of my favorite mantras when it comes to divorce is people come to me and they say, I want to win. And the truth is you can't win a divorce. It's not possible because there's always going to be custody allocated in a certain way and alimony allocated or you know what we call in New York maintenance is alimony is called maintenance. It's going to be allocated in a certain way. You know, the property can be divided. So everyone wants to know how they're going to win. And my response is always standard. The best way to quote unquote win in the, a divorce action is to make it as, as quick and expedient as possible to try to move things along because that even if you might lose a few bucks, you know, maybe you want to stick it to your ex, but for your emotional health, the best thing to do is to move things along. And certainly for the children, the best thing to do is to move things along. Of course, because number one, it's not being dragged on. Number two, the longer they're at each other's throats, you know, an ex-husband and an ex-wife, children start to build false hope, like maybe, you know, they get back together. And number three, the issue with them being at each other for such a long period of time is as that fury builds up when they have to co-parent together, the children are being pawns or one person says, oh, you know, I'm going to Florida, I'm not going to tell the other person. Or one person decides they're going to make a simple without the other person or, you know, a family affair without the other person. And it's really, really damning. It really hurts the children. So the, the best way to win at a divorce action is really to keep the children in mind. Um, mediation for the right person um, is really an amazing, amazing solution. Unfortunately, there are many mediators who don't know the law and that becomes problematic. And there are mediators also who want to just drag on even mediation just to make a few more bucks. 
So you have to find the right person who really knows what they're doing. And it's not about the money for them. Um, of course, everybody, all of us, our time is valuable. But somebody who wants to do it for the right reasons, believe, you know, believe strongly in putting the couple back on their feet, uh, not taking nonsense at all to drag things on, hearing both sides equitably. Um, you really need someone who has strengths in that regard. And someone who is not taking the case that they're desperate for the money, someone of renown, that you're just a, another face on their calendar, which is one of the reasons that like, you know, when people call me, um, they ask me, you know, should they mediate? Um, my standard answer is always yes. And if they're anywhere within, you know, a remotely reasonable radius of Nassau County, I'll always send them to Ayala just because um, I've really been able to offer an action, you know, being in the same office, you know, she cares about um, clients and otherwise. And without any further ado, I'm going to admit Ayala and uh, start peppering her with questions about the negotiation process. Hey, what's going on? Can you hear me? Do you hear me now? Yes, now I hear okay. you. Looks like her audio was having some uh, difficulty there. Yes. Um, Got to figure out a way to put this I, somewhere. I gave you an introduction you wouldn't have allowed me to give you while you were on air. So I made sure to get that out of the way before you actually dialed in. So now that you're on the call, um, in short, what I was basically saying was when people get divorced, there's so much going on. And very often they look at divorce attorneys as a therapist, as an accountant, as a dating coach, as a mediator, negotiator, all, all the above. And I said, it's very important when people get divorced to look at the entire process. And even though I myself am not a mediator, I do believe the ideal way to go about this is mediation because it is quick. Um, it's relatively painless under the circumstances. Um, and more than anything else, if a couple has children, it's what's best for the children. So, th so those are my general thoughts. Um, I guess you being the expert, my, my first question to you would be, um, I mean, based on my conversations with you, it sounds like you also value negotiation over litigation. Yes. For the couple. I'm like, what, what, first of all, what made you want to become like a mediator? And like, what makes you like so strong that, you know, it's the best thing for the couple to do? So a few years ago, I kind of saw the writing on the wall that mediation was going to take off. Um, just for a few reasons. I think that people were just sick and tired of spending money on attorneys fighting. Um, like you said, it's, it's a a prolonged process to be in court. It's expensive. Um, it's time consuming every time you, at, well, at least before Corona, every time you had to go to court, the parties had to come with you, even if they never spoke to the clerk, never spoke to the judge, they just had to sit outside the whole time, waste hours of their day, take days off from work. It's just, it didn't make sense to me. So I wanted to be able to expand for me personally into this area. Um, it took me some time before I found uh, a mediation class that I was interested in, and I took it with the New York Peace Institute. It was five days. It was it was draining. I mean, it was an amazing experience. It was very, very draining. Um, it was a basic mediation course, and then um, I also took an advanced specialty in divorce mediation, um, and I do believe wholeheartedly that if two parties want to go that route, that it is by far the superior route. But 
I will say that both parties have to be very involved. It is um, an involved process. It's not a process that you just sit back and let it happen to you. You have to put in a lot of work. You have to think about what you want. You have to discuss it. You have to be open to ideas. You have to negotiate. A lot of people think that mediation is, is like a simple, easy process. It's not. It's difficult. It takes time. And it doesn't mean that you agree on everything. Not at all. Um, but you have to know ultimately that you and your partner are on the same page, that you would rather make the decisions for yourselves than have some third party stranger make the decisions for you. And if you're on that same page, then you can get there. And I believe that mediation is, is a superior process. But I've, I've had mediations where both parties don't feel that way or they're not interested in being so involved every step of the way and it doesn't work and it falls apart. So I was actually, it's interesting that you mentioned that. That was one of the questions that I had. So of course, you know, like in court, so somebody gets served and then there's a hearing and the other party doesn't show up or even before here, and they're supposed to answer and they don't show up. Eventually you can motion for default or you can try to get a divorce by default. What do you, what do, you do in mediation where one of the parties just feels like they don't have to show up on a regular basis? Right. So if that's the case, then mediation won't work. I very often explain to the parties before we even begin that it's a very, um, it, it's a long, like involved process in the sense that you have to be involved. Um, it doesn't mean that it has to take a long time, but you have to be involved. So I've had uh, mediations where at the very first mediation, I'm asking questions, I'm trying to engage them and one party is fully engaged. And I had one party literally sitting on their phone in front of me, just typing away, completely uninterested, just sort of yesing and knowing. Um, and I finally said to him, this is not going to work if you're not involved. It won't work. I need ideas. I need, you know, the, the creative process that it has to flow. And he just, for whatever reason, wasn't ready at that time to be involved. I think he was angry. He was emotional. He just uh, didn't want to be there. It's not that he wanted to be in court. He just didn't want to be there. He didn't want to be divorced. So until he was able to get his head wrapped around the fact that he's getting divorced, whether he likes it or not, and that this was the best process for that to happen, he just wasn't going to hear it. Um, Ten months later, they're in mediation now. Uh, he just couldn't get there, couldn't, couldn't get there for a long time. And that's okay. But that's what I mean by it's not going to work. If someone doesn't show up to mediation sessions, it won't work either. And what I'll tell people also in the very beginning is, you know, everybody has this assumption that mediation is cheaper. It can be significantly cheaper, but if you start the mediation process and then somewhere along the line, it doesn't work or it falls apart. And then you end up with attorneys anyway, you've just spent all that money on nothing. So now you have to get attorneys and you kind of have to start from scratch. So it, it only is a cheaper process if you see it all the way through. Um, and what do we mean by cheaper? The idea is that the two parties are splitting the cost or sharing in the cost of the mediator rather than each of them paying you know, highly expensive attorneys. Um, so overall it is cheaper. There's still the same statutory filing fees for the divorce papers. There's still, um, you know, the fee of drafting the agreement and drafting the final papers at the end, but overall you can save thousands of dollars through the mediation session if it's done properly. That makes sense. Um, okay. Another question that I had for you, which is like, you know, always just, uh, somebody had a lot of curiosity about 
for judges, mm -hmm. uh, everybody able to ask the judge, so I guess I'll ask you the question. So two parties come in front of you, right? Let's say it's really obvious that the guy is just like a deadbeat, he was abusive, he was really mean, or the woman just completely unhinged and the guy is like very, very calm and, and easygoing. Right. So in a situation like that, as a mediator, like you have to be impartial. Like, how do you find a way to like still have that person's best interests in mind right. in a balanced fashion? So I'll, let me break that into a few different things. The first thing that I'll address is that if there is any kind of physical abuse in the marriage or any kind of abuse where one party feels intimidated by the other, mediation will not work at all. And I will not have people in a room for mediation if there was abuse. That's why when the courts, even before they send you out to a mediator, they do a background check and they ask each of you questions privately because they need to know if they can clear the case for mediation. So I will ask on my mediation intake sheets, which are confidential from the parties, if there was any kind of abuse or if party A is at all um, in fear of party B or if they feel that they can express themselves freely in a mediation because if you can't, then it won't work either. If one person's gonna sit there and just say yes to whatever the other party wants because they're afraid of them or they're afraid of the repercussions from after the meeting's over, then it won't work. So again, it's not that mediation is, is good for everybody but it can be good in many cases. So if there's abuse, no mediation right off the bat. You have to have an advocate that represents your interests because you're too afraid to say maybe what you want or what you feel. Um, mental stability. Also, can't have mediation, no mental stability. Right. So sometimes that's not um, evident right off the bat. Sometimes it takes a little time to get to know the parties to see that maybe you suspect one of them is not mentally well. Um, if that's the case, then I would I would end the mediation and um, tell them that it's not working, that the process is breaking down and that I feel it would be best if they have attorneys represent each of them. So that's also an issue. Now, in terms of just being a third party, you know, neutral mediator, it is difficult. And um, that training course that I mentioned a while ago, uh, a significant portion of it is training you how to be neutral when you hear things that just go against your values, maybe your religion. Um, it's very hard. You know, for example, I had a session where the father just could have cared less to see the kids. Maybe he saw them once a month. And, you know, sitting there, it's very hard to, to not think bad thoughts about that father. And I had to keep reminding myself that this is what works for them this is okay with him and this is okay with her and it doesn't matter what I think or feel. And if he only sees the kids once a month and every, and this is what they're telling me works best for their family, then it's really not my place to say anything and I'm not gonna try to get him to see the kids more. Um, you know, I try to get people to see long-term and just make them understand that circumstances change and things change and maybe what works now might not always work in the future and you might want to build in certain things into the agreement because of that, or at least build in some flexibility to be able to discuss things at some point again in the future and see if things are still working. But I've heard a lot of things, you know, in mediation that go against maybe what I feel personally. Um but you just, there are, there are like tricks of the trade to sort of not let that get in the way. Um, and it's difficult. It's, it's not an easy, it's not an easy process. And you just have to sort of, you know, 
think to yourself that this is what works for this family. They know each other best. They know their kids best. So maybe seeing dad once a month work best for their kids. Maybe if they saw him more, it would be a hardship and it wouldn't go well for them. You know, there's a lot of issues like that, you know, for sure. Um, what I do feel very strongly about is if, um, you know, they start batting around ideas and I don't think that they'll work or, or that they'll pass muster with the court, I will tell them, I'll say, you know, if you were in court, this is what they would do. Or if you were in court, this is likely how it would go just to give people a sense of, you know, like a jumping off point, you know, and how, and how things might want to work for them. But if somebody says, you know, I want to pay her 500 bucks a month and he really in court would have been paying $2,000 and she says, okay, that works for me. It's not my place to say anything. I don't represent either one of them. So I'm not looking to get either one of them a better deal. I'm looking to make sure that they both are okay with what they agree to. And obviously I tell them to have consulting attorneys, which have to be two other attorneys that are not me, um, that they can consult with and say, hey, does this work? What do you think about this? Am I getting a bad deal if I do this? Because I am neutral. So, you know, and then that brings into question, well, if we're paying attorneys and we're paying mediator, how much, how could it be cheaper? But it is because usually a consulting attorney will just charge you like an hourly fee for however long it takes for them to consult with you, whether it's every single session along the way or just at the very end or just to read the agreement. So it's still overall cheaper, even with consulting attorneys. Got it. That, make, that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, and you kind of hinted at one of the points that I mentioned before you jumped on the call, which is, you know, when it comes to mediation, there are a lot of people that like just get this mediation certification, but they're not attorneys. Right. And there's a lot of challenges with that. Big problem. Um, but I think one of the main challenges is, is exactly what you just pointed out, where you can say to them, by the way, this is what would happen in the court of law. Right. Like, to me, it's almost like, how could someone mediate without that understanding? Right. So it happens it, to Take, when you take a basic mediation course, like the first course I took, you end up with um, a certificate that you can mediate. And most of the people in my class were not attorneys. They were just people looking to either bring an extra income. Some of them were retired and just wanted to do something else. So they weren't attorneys. I feel very strongly that in a divorce, um, it's extremely beneficial to have a mediator that's also an attorney, not only because they can tell you how things would go in court, but also because they can keep up with the law, which is always changing, and say, you know, by the way, this is not really the law now, this is. That's a big part of it. Um, and also because as an attorney, I know specific things that the court's looking for in order for that agreement to, to pass through. So I know things that need to be addressed. I've had people come to me where I'm the consulting attorney and the mediator was not an attorney. And I found the work to be very shoddy. Um, it just, I, I felt like I had to almost rewrite the whole agreement. It just wasn't done well. So I would caution that anybody going to a mediator, I, I would urge them to go to a mediator that's also an attorney with a knowledge of this area of law. It's, it's very important, I think. Um, and I, I just think, I think it helps the parties, you know, if they turn to me and say, well, what do you think about this? I can say, well, generally this is how a court would view it. So let's see what, what we could do that works best for the two of you. 
Um, and also I find that people come in thinking that they know everything. They've had a friend that got divorced or they have a relative that got divorced and they think, oh, well, this is what my friend got in child support. So I'm getting the same and this is what I'm paying in child support. So, and they don't know. And it's very important to, I think, speak with authority and say, as an attorney of the law, that's not how it would go, you know? So it, it's, it, I find that to be super important. Um, the consulting attorneys, I don't require that everybody get one. I do strongly recommend it and I'll recommend it multiple times. Um, there are mediators that will not do a mediation unless each person has a consulting attorney and they want the names of the attorneys and they want to know it right from the beginning. If you have one, I'll always put into the agreement ultimately who you consulted with. Otherwise, I'll put in that it was strongly recommended and that the party decided to proceed without one. Um, I don't feel that I want to force anyone to have one because it might be a money issue. It just just might be something that actually stands in their way of the mediation process. But I will urge you because unless you've actually met with an attorney, you don't necessarily know what your rights are. How do you know that if you're taking $500 in child support, that that's more or less than what you would normally get in order to be okay with it? Meaning I'm okay with it if you're okay with it so long as you know what maybe you could have gotten. And maybe it was more important to you to have the kids live with you than it was to get more child support. Or maybe it was more important to you to stay in the house than it was to get child support. So as long as everybody knows, you know, more or less what they're entitled to, um, I think that's the best place in order to be able to negotiate from. And as lawyers, that's what we do all day long. You know, I'll tell my, my clients, you know, you're entitled to X amount of dollars. Let's figure out how we can get that for you in the best way possible. Or maybe my client will say to me, I know that I'm entitled to this, but it's more important to me that I have why. So then at least we know, you know, we have all the information and we know, okay, it, you know, she'd rather stay in the house than get more in the retirement. And that's really how, how it works in a negotiation also. So interesting. Um, that's really, really interesting. So, okay. Um, another question I really wanted to ask you on that basis is, so you mentioned you, you kind of encourage the parties to consult with an attorney. If they can, they can, if they can, they can. Do they ever bring their attorneys to mediation? So it is possible. I will only allow it if both parties bring their attorneys. I won't allow one party with an attorney and one party without one. If they both insist on bringing them, I will allow it. But I have to tell you that as someone who has been a consulting attorney, I have been brought to mediation and I found it extremely unhelpful. I found that the other attorney who was not a mediator could not take off her litigation cap. And she was just impeding the process every step of the way. When I go to a mediation as a consulting attorney, I feel that my role is to be quiet, let the mediator run the show. And I'm really there just to sort of hold my client's hand and pat them on the back and say, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. Um, the other person was acting like it was a four-way negotiation and that the mediator wasn't even there and that we were just negotiating things out and it turned it turned it into a ruckus and the mediator had no control and I, I just didn't find it helpful at all. And I think as a consulting attorney, your role is, yes, of course, you want to make sure that your client understands what they're entitled to, what they're giving up, what they're getting. 
But your role is ultimately to be aware that these two parties chose mediation for a reason. And my, my goal is not to disrupt that process. My goal is to let the mediation process do its job and just be an advisor along the way. So that if my client calls me and says, well, you know, he wants to stay in the house and not pay child support and um, I take care of the kids, is that okay? And I say to them, well, no, that's not really what you should be doing. And this is what you'd be entitled to. And then if she says, no, 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 it's fine with me. then I say, okay, you know, I'll make sure that she knows what she's entitled to, or he knows what he's entitled to, but I'm not there to disrupt the mediation process. These people chose it for a reason. And there are attorneys, unfortunately, that disrupt the process so much that mediation just can't happen. So I keep that in mind whenever I am you know, very often if I'm the mediator, they ask me for names of consulting attorneys and I'll give both parties, let's say five or six names and they can each call whom they want and choose whom they want. I don't make recommendations. I just give them a list of names, but the people that I give them are people that I know understand the mediation process or who are um, in favor of the mediation process and are not looking to blow up a whole thing and litigate where it doesn't need to be litigated. That's very important to me also as a mediator. Right. Um, so, okay, so on, on that note, so when you talk about like knocking out the entire process, right, and you're done with mediation, so now you close the book, you filed everything with the court, is there any difference between a typical judgment of divorce or a judgment of divorce that came from mediation? Are there any distinctions between the two? No, but we should actually talk about that for a minute. There are a lot of mediators that will do the mediation for you, but then once you have your agreement done, that's it, they're out of the picture. And then you then have to take that agreement to a different attorney and have them file the final papers on your behalf. So that's one of the reasons, first of all, why I think it's important that your mediator be an attorney because you can find someone, for example, when I do mediation, I will be the mediator, I will draft up the mediation agreement when it's all done. But then instead of having the parties find another attorney and retain another attorney to go file the divorce papers, because the mediation agreement is just one document that has to get filed amongst 15 to 20 other documents, depending on whether they have children or not. And it all goes in as a package to the court. So when that's done for a separate fee, I will draft the final papers. And what I do at that moment is I have one of the parties retain me, I don't care which one, just so that someone's the plaintiff and someone's the defendant. And I will have a retainer agreement that says, I am retained for the sole purpose of drafting divorce documents for the, you know, for this party. And that's it, that's the limit of my, you know, that that's the limit of my scope of representation. And I will then file all the papers. So it's kind of like a one-stop shop. So you don't have to go anywhere. Um, you know, I, I know other mediators who will do the agreement for you. They won't do the papers. I actually know mediators that will do the mediation. These are usually the non-attorney ones. And then once all the terms are agreed to, they then send the terms out to a lawyer to draft up the agreement. So the lawyer is basically the scribe and they give them all the terms. But it, to me, it just seems complicated and it doesn't need to be complicated. Um, why go to three different people? I now have my mediator. I now have a lawyer drafting up the terms. That lawyer wasn't in the room. Maybe they don't understand the nuances of what we agree to. Um, maybe they get it wrong and now we need four or five revisions and it's 
taking time and it's costing money. And then maybe I need a third person to do the final papers. So it just seems a little silly to me. But what you can do also is if you have consulting attorneys during the mediation, when the mediation agreement is done, one of the parties can just have one of their consulting attorneys do the final papers for them also. So uh, my role could end at the mediation agreement or my role could end at the divorce papers, either, either way. Right. But there's, there's no difference in a judgment of divorce. When you file that mediation agreement, the only difference is, is, the is the name of the agreement. This is a mediated agreement as opposed to a stipulation of settlement between you know, two parties with their attorneys representing them. All the rest of the divorce documents are exactly the same. It all goes in together. Uh, the court has to review it and ultimately the judge will sign off hopefully on your judgment of divorce and it makes no difference if it came through mediation or through litigation or through negotiation right okay um okay so i'm just i'm just trying to think through that process okay so the finality is very very similar now what happens if you have one party let's say the husband's been making $80,000 for the last 15 years. He comes up with a business idea and it explodes. Now, three years later, he's making $500,000 a year and the wife wants to contest it. How does that work in a scenario like that? Worse? What'd you what, say? Three, three years after an agreement was signed? or Three, three years, years after a mediation was, an agreement was signed via mediation. Well, you're always free to go back to court to modify any of the terms of your agreement. That right can never be taken away from you. Um, so regardless whether it's a negotiation or mediation, you don't ever give up the right to modify. What you can um, give up are the ability to modify based on three years passing, based on 15% uh, change in income up or down, but you can never give up um, change in circumstances. So for example, in the, in the one you just gave, a person can always go back to court and say, hey, this person's now making five times the amount of what they were making when we got divorced, so I want more child support or more maintenance or anything like that. Um, first of all, the two parties can always negotiate with each other before going to court. You can always work out an agreement amongst yourselves and have it written up and notarized. You can always go back to a mediator and say, look, you know, three years later, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. Um, and very often mediation agreements will require that you go to a mediator before going to court. But let's just say you are in court. Um, you have to have standing. So first of all, the change in circumstances is that this person makes more money, but not just that they make more money, you have to prove that the children need more money. So if the children are getting more than enough money as it is, and it just happens to be that this person now has a lot more money, you know, um, in their bank account doesn't necessarily mean that a court will change the child support. You would either have to prove that it's become a hardship for you to contribute what you were contributing or that the kids' expenses have gone up or something to show the court why just having more money is a reason to change the child support. Just having more money is not enough of a reason. There has to be something else. Otherwise, people would be going back to court every time the other party went up or down. So. Right. Now, there has to be some kind of, uh, my kids are older now, maybe they need um, more money because they have braces or uh, therapies or, you know, they're in private school and high school costs more money. Whatever the reason is, it can't just be this person makes more money. 
okay, so let, let's say arguably the mom's living, you know, in a studio apartment with four kids, right? And there's no room for anyone to breathe and they're bigger kids at this point. And now all of a sudden, the ex-husband has like this huge uptick in terms of income. Yes. Right? That right? So that's going to be fine. The court's not going to, you know, sneeze at that, not going to be an issue. When that happens and someone, you know, let's say petitions the court or motions the court to make some kind of adjustment to child support or maintenance or whatever it might be, do you have to get involved at that point or are you like a thing of the past? As a mediator, I don't ever have to be involved ever again. The only way I would be involved is if they decide to come back to me to say, hey, can we try to work this issue out in mediation? That's it. Once you're done, you're done. But that's that's the same with any attorney because once I file divorce papers and the judgment of divorce is signed, my representation is over. I will send an end of representation letter to that client letting them know I no longer represent them. My representation is over. If they wanna come back to me three years later to represent them on something, we would sign a new retainer agreement for a post-judgment issue. So um, as a mediator, your role is over when it's over, when the mediation is done and over. They don't even have to go back to you as a mediator. They can go to any other mediator if they want to, if they have a, an issue. Okay. I mean, yeah. especially because at the end, let's say, you know, you're the one or somebody else is coming in writing the terms, right? The mediator is really just like, I guess, helping the party come to a healthy resolution. Right. You're just the facilitator. You're just there to help them agree on terms that work best for them without um, imposing your own personal feelings or beliefs and without representing either of them. I have done mediations where I feel that one party has definitely gotten a better deal than the other party, um, but that's not my place to say anything. If they're both aware of what they signed, if they certainly if they both had consulting attorneys, that's not my place to say anything. And I have definitely felt that one party um, has walked away with a better deal, but it's what works for them. You know, everybody, the thing with mediation is everybody is um, a product of their experiences and everybody has different values and different priorities based on their life experiences. And maybe the most important thing to this one party was spending Christmas with the kids and um, she didn't care about, you know, anything else. So that's it. That's what works for them. You know, I had, I had one uh, client recently where um, I think she has the kids for every single holiday except Thanksgiving. And I said to her, well, and, and I wasn't the mediator, I was an attorney. I said, well, isn't he going to want this or that? And she said, nope. And he didn't. He just wants Thanksgiving. And then she has them for every other holiday possible. Wow. Yeah. So that's what worked for them. I thought it was strange, but that's what works for them. Yeah. I mean, initially, you definitely see people have very strange hangups. Yeah. I think you'd never, ever expect. Yes. And a lot of that, um, interestingly, will come out in a mediation. Um, like you said earlier, that they think of you as like a therapist. Certainly in a mediation, a lot of that stuff comes out. And I allow it to come out in a mediation, not because I, I need to hear the gossip, but because it allows me an insight into why that person is either stuck on something and unable to move forward with something. Um, you know, as an attorney, very often people call me and they pour their heart out and, oh, he's so disgusting. She's so mean. And I'll listen to it to an extent. But then I say, listen, this is not beneficial. This is not helpful. Um, and I'm a very uh, expensive therapist. So you might want to, you know, think about having a therapist. And I hear why you're so upset, but I don't want to waste your money being your therapist. I want to get you what 
what I need to get you. Um, but as a mediator, it's a little bit of a different hat because if somebody is so stuck on staying in the house that the only thing that they care about is that they're in the house and they can't get past it, sometimes I, I need to know why. I need to know why they're stuck on this house. And maybe it was because when they were younger, their parents got divorced and they moved around a lot. Or maybe it was because it makes them feel stable. Or maybe it's the second marriage and they lost the house in the first marriage and they refuse to do that again. Whatever the reason is, I like to hear... Um, a little bit about that because I want, I try to use it to help bring them together. Um, you know, that's, that's the thought behind that. So I certainly play more of a therapeutic role in a mediation. Um, and I just sometimes find that people just have a hard time communicating. So, um, you know, my, my role is really, it's really to help people. That's really why I went into it. It's really to help people. And I certainly think when it comes to children, it's the best thing for them it's the best. It's the best. They don't have to be involved in court and, and the money that you're wasting on court could be better used towards the children. Um, and if done right, it is quicker. It is more efficient. It is more equitable. Um, and I think that people feel that they took control over it rather than the system taking control over it. They made the decisions. They took control over their lives and decided what to do. I think that's very important. Amazing. Amazing. No, I mean, I, I know personally, you certainly have helped so many couples going through a difficult time, find a way to make it much more livable and manageable and peaceful so that children can find happiness and the couple can, you know, I always say divorce is a, both a death and a birth, you know, so they can, they can start yeah. their new lives and find a new happiness, a new healthy way. Um, and it's amazing. It's amazing to be able to do this for so many people. So you should, uh, you should have the strength to continue doing these amazing things. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you for being my, my first patient guest and uh, for everything else. Of course, anytime. Thanks, Ayala.